Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Encounter. We're on part four of our series together called How to Live. It's life lessons from the book of Proverbs, and we're going to get to some of that content. We're talking about money today, which is like everybody's favorite topic to talk about in church. We've got the doors sealed off at all of our locations, so don't even... I'm, I'm kidding. We're talking about money, church. We're actually talking about satisfaction. We're talking about happiness. Uh, we're talking about contentment, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, what I'd like to do first is talk about how to, uh, how to live in terms, of, in terms of bucket lists. Some of us have these lists that we keep, uh, that things that we want to see or things that we want to do, achievements that we want to have before we kick the bucket. I'm curious, uh, all of our locations, raise your hands. Uh, do you have a bucket list? Put them up. Yes, okay, that's, I'm so glad that there's so many people participating, right? Um, I've asked this before in other contexts, and people weren't really sure, and I'm like, I don't know. I have a bucket list. It's, like a, it's a physical list. It's password protected because it's very personal to me. My wife knows what it is. Um, there's a lot of big stuff on there, you know, that's like cities that I'd like to visit or sites that I'd like to see. But honestly, there's just some ridiculous things on there, too, that once you see them, you have maybe a little more insight into who I am as a person and potentially a little loss of respect along the way as well. We do road trips as a family because I'm cheap and it's the cheapest way to get around. And so we drive by like these roadside attractions and I'm like, oh, what it would be like, you know? And so I see, I've accumulated some of these over the years. We're driving down south, I-65, I think it is, somewhere in Kentucky and there's a 50-foot plastered Tyrannosaurus Rex that says, come visit Dino World. And I'm like, yes! I plan a trip to Mammoth Caves immediately following that, right? And it's like, oh, kids, we're going to learn about God's amazing creation. No, we're going to Dino World. It's right next door. It has since closed. So, like, if you wanted to visit, like, hey, snooze, you lose, you know? Insight into who I am. If you've ever wondered, you know, world's biggest hot dog, you know, ball of yarn. And you're like, who goes to those things? I do. I bring my family to them. I'm currently on my bucket list. I'm trying to find a way to bring my family to the world's largest underground amusement park, Mega Caves. It's indoor zip lining, and I'm like, I gotta figure this thing out. It hasn't come together yet. But that's just one of the many items that I have on my, on my bucket list. To see something, to do something, to achieve something. Uh, enough about me. What's on your list? What's on your bucket list. And maybe it's, maybe it's following that same category. So see something, do something, achieve something. You want to see the Grand Canyon, also on my list. Haven't, haven't done it yet. Um, see the Eiffel Tower. See the Northern Lights. Do something. Uh, swim with the sharks. Scuba dive. The Great Barrier Reef. Bungee jumping. Potentially the event that stops your heart and causes you to kick the bucket in the first place. Uh, achieve something. I want to write a book. Hit some kind of financial milestone. I want to run a marathon faster than my sister. Like whatever. whatever. What's on your bucket list? Chances are it falls into the one of those three categories. Uh, see something, do something, achieve something. A reason why I bring it up, as we open up the scriptures today, thousands year old wisdom from the book of Proverbs, we see embedded in the book of Proverbs a bucket list a bucket list prayer. Let's go there. It's, um, it's Psalm 30, and I'm going to read it for you and then, and then make a couple of comments. Psalm, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> Proverbs 30, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7. Verse 7 reads, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. 
two things that I've got, God, uh, two prayers that I have, a bucket list prayer, twofold, two things that I'm asking for. Um, to understand what's about to follow, I think it would help us to learn a little bit about who is writing this and some of the possibilities that could be. Solomon is the, not so much the author of Proverbs, but I'd say like the collector of Proverbs. He finds them, these nuggets of wisdom embedded in God's creation all over the world. It doesn't matter who said them. All truth is God's truth, which is still true today. And he collects these Proverbs all in the same place. Uh, One of the sections in Proverbs chapter 30 is called Sayings of Agur. And you might wonder like, who is Agur and how does he make it into the Bible? And the answer is just kind of like, a shrug emoji. Like, I, it's this. I don't know. We've got no idea. We, we know very, very little. There's some theories about Agur and maybe who he was. He opens up his chapter sayings and he says, I'm a brute. I'm not a man. And you're like, well, why am I reading this wisdom if he's such a brute? And it's like, no, no, no. It's part of his humility because somebody who says, like, I'm the wisest person in the world. You're like, eh, slow your roll. I don't think I really want to take your particular kind of, uh, of wisdom. So Agur, he's not a brute. He's a wise person. He's got some things figured out. He's been known over the ages as being this wise person with wise saying, which is why he gets included in here. And he opens it up in verse 7, 8, and 9, and he's, he's going to share with us his bucket list prayer. And when we think about what things were like thousands of years ago in a very dangerous place, what's he going to ask for? Agricultural society, maybe he's going to ask for, for God to like expand his territory, expand his, his farmland, something to achieve. Maybe so he can have something to pass down to the next generation or the next generation after that. Maybe he, it's a brutal place. Maybe he wants to take revenge on somebody who harmed him. Maybe he wants to achieve just like holding his grandchild. No, maybe his great-grandchild, four generations of Agur in one family photo. It'd be powerful. Two things that I ask from you, Lord, just two. Number one, we get in verse eight. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. I didn't see that coming (laughs) on the bucket list prayers. Nothing about the Grand Canyon, nothing about swimming with sharks, scuba diving the Great Barrier Reef. There's nothing about visiting great cities. There's nothing really to see, nothing to do, nothing to achieve at all. He's breaking the rules of our bucket list. So what I'd like to do this morning, and I just kind of want to tell you like where we're going with this thing and why we're talking about bucket lists, is that some of us have in mind, even if it's not a literal physical list that's written out and password protected somewhere, we have an idea of the kinds of things we want to see, we want to do, we want to achieve before we kick the bucket. And I want to like own that because I'm one of those too, but, but to recognize that this is kind of a consumer-centric, like how can I soak in, how can I experience, how can I triumph over, maybe achieve over in some cases, the world around me? How can it be around me? And Agur kind of flips that on his head and he goes, when I think about my bucket list before I kick the bucket, it's not see something, do something, achieve something, it's be someone. And so in this conversation that follows, and we'll get to money in a few minutes here, but in this conversation that follows, I think that it would be worth, as we think about our bucket list, maybe it's not just something to see, something to do, something to achieve, but someone 
that Jesus is inviting us to become. Not to take out of the world, but, but to pour back into the world. He's got two bucket list prayers. And I, and I, we'll take them one at a time. Uh, the first one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. It's a, it's a prayer of honesty. Uh, there's, there's lies, there's falsehood, there's me. God, may they be as far across the room as possible at all times. I wonder if he experienced some of the fallout of lies and deception. I wonder if some of the lies blew up and he was on the receiving end of experiencing some of the shrapnel that came from those lies. I'm just going to dial a couple of numbers and I want to invite you to respond. Where are you most tempted to lie? Agur's like, I I don't want to kick the bucket being a liar. I, I keep it far from me. If we don't want to also kick the bucket being a liar, where are you most tempted to lie? This is a this is, uh, this is a question I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you to respond, but I'm asking you to respond internally. <laughs> I don't have teenagers, not quite yet, but I was a teenager at one point. <laughs> I know what they are capable of. <laughs> Those stories for another time. But I remember some of the temptations that come along with, uh, where were you, who were you with, when did you get in, and what did you do? All questions that I didn't want to answer, at least not honestly. In those moments... I had teenagers have an opportunity, not just to lie, but to get good at lying. For some of you, when you answer that question, it might come more naturally than you thought that it would. Resist that temptation. I think Agur is experiencing the shrapnel that has flown from a lie that has blown up and has hurt the people around. In that moment when you're 18, 19 years old, the shrapnel could start flying Okay, this is what happened, and and it'll be small, and likely, if you're a minor especially, it'll be contained. When you're 20s, when you're 40s, when you're 60s, it gets much worse. Resist that temptation. God, I don't want to kick the bucket as a person who is known as a liar. I don't want to hurt the people around me. I don't want to hurt myself with that that particular deal. He's talking about keep lies and falsehood far from me. At the same time, God, give me neither poverty nor riches, just my daily bread. It's like a financial thing. I wonder for Agur, you know, we don't know the whole story. We know very little, which is, I think, part of what makes the proverb so wise is is that I wonder if these things are, like, connected, you know? If Agur has, has realized over time that, you know, at least for a little while, you can make a remarkable amount of money by lying, You know, for a little while, you can keep it up, and it can be really, really successful lying. And he's like, God, if the first thing is an honesty thing, the second thing is a simplicity thing, just don't give me riches, don't give me poverty. I know me way too much, but put me somewhere in the the moderate middle. Honestly, as 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 it relates to money, I can make money spinning this tale of deception, weaving this web of lies. When it comes to uh, getting the job, when it comes to keeping the job, there are things that I could say that are going to help me in that. Do you have experience in? How much experience in? What is that experience as you're crafting that resume? There's a way to spin that dishonestly or honestly, keep falsehood and lies far from me when I'm on the job. hunt. When I'm in the job, and there's manager comes by and asks how the project is going, and you say, I'm almost done. 
meaning I've almost started it. This week is the week I'm going to start it. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. There's like a way that we can spin this. There's a way that I can weave this web. And, and you know what? It's, it'll work for a while. Even falling feels like flying for a little while as the song goes. And then you hit the ground. You can make a remarkable amount of money, at least for a little while, by a falsehood and lie about your capacity to repay, the timing of the repayment, and the repayment in full or not. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Okay, we, we get the honesty part of it, right? I don't want to kick the bucket being a liar. I don't want to kick the bucket being known as a liar. I'm going to make some kind of resolution to myself. I'm not going to be that kind of person. Um, but the second part of it is, the second part of that bucket list prayer, I keep uh, false and lies far from me, uh, give me neither poverty nor riches, right? This is possibly the most un-American prayer that we have in the Bible, right? Uh, come on, man. Uh, poverty, I understand. God, don't make me poor, right? Or riches. We, we know something about Agur. We don't know a lot about his life, but we know that he is a remarkably self-aware individual. He looks at his own life and he goes, I know me and I know my heart and I know the capacity that my heart has for spiritual slippage, let's call it, drift, when things start to go badly. God, I don't trust me to stay close to you when things go badly. He, he explains a little bit in verse 9. He goes, this is poverty or, or riches. This is why. Uh, verse 9, otherwise I may have too much and I might disown you and say, who is the Lord? Like, God, who? Or I may become poor and I'll steal and, and so dishonor the name of the Lord my God. Agur sits down in his simple prayers, God, don't make me dirt poor and don't make me filthy rich either, just that you would find me somewhere in the moderate middle. Yeah, Agur knows something. He knows, I think, the secret to this contentment thing about this happiness thing, especially as it relates to money. And we'll highlight a little bit more what, what I think he knows in just a moment. But for right now, in a big picture, he recognizes that there's like this, this string attached to his heart and to his wallet. And I think that is so profound. Jesus, by the way, picks it up a little bit later. And he goes, where your treasure is, there your heart is too. These things are connected. If you want to make a, an, investment, an investment into your financial, into your spiritual life, it also likely looks financial. Where your treasure goes... Your heart is going to, these things are connected. And our Gore goes, yeah, I know that. Because when things go badly, man, my capacity to do things that are illegal, immoral, possibly illicit, grows. When things go badly, the capacity that I have to rip people off grows exponentially. We saw this. I saw this. It's probably too soon to reflect too deeply on the, on the events of the last few years. I'm talking like COVID era. Uh, you know, it is just a huge amount of anxiety and a huge amount of fear is like injected into the system, into all of us. You know, and, and none of us are unescaped, uh, have left unscathed by that, right? And there's a saying that we're all in the, this storm together. And some of us realize pretty quickly on and others down the road, yeah, but we are most certainly not all in the same boat. We're, we're in the same storm, but we're not in the same financial boat. 
But I talk to many people, I talk to many of you, and it's like, how, you know, how is the last year after we're in it for a year? How is it, how is it gone? How are you affected by it? Because we're all affected by this one way or another. And sometimes the answer was like, dude, I had a job. It was 90% online to begin with. I'm a remote worker. This just, you know, the last 10%, wait. You know, I work for technology, and the last year has been awesome. Uh, we also haven't been going out. We haven't done anything. I've, I've been a more secure financial place than I have ever been before. That is like a trap. And others of you are going, I hate that guy. <laughs> because I talk to other people and they're like, I had this dream of opening a restaurant, being my own boss. I love cooking. I love hospitality. I love creating this environment. And I opened my restaurant in February of 2020. And there was nothing I could do, completely out of my hands. And I still, three years later, have not recovered. I talked to one couple that opened a wedding venue, January 2020. Large groups of people in an indoor confined space. I just wanted to help people celebrate the most wonderful day of their life. And I will be paying for this for the rest of my life. When that much fear, anxiety is injected into the system, insecurity, and it tells you something about your heart. And I'm not going to come down on anybody for holding on to that bitterness for the last few years, but there is an element here where we look at Agur and we go, yeah, that's me. I know my heart and I know how bitter I would become. I know how angry I would become. God do not bring that upon me. But we understand poverty. <laughs> or riches? <laughs> All right, God, if, if he's not going to be rich, you know, uh, find me faithful. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> Agur understands that affluence is not always a friend of faith either. He knows that drift happens, spiritual slippage can take place in poverty he also knows the opposite is true i don't know about his background i don't know about the the bible stories that he grew up on i don't know about uh, the collective history of the israelite hebrew people in the old testament but solomon did who was the collector of these proverbs solomon had the old testament solomon had the pentateuch uh, solomon had the stories of his people the israelite people going out of egypt and landing themselves in the promised land uh, going out of a place uh, marked by more than enough excess, Egypt, and entering into a place that was called a uh, land flowing with milk and honey. And there was a little gap in between. Some of you are aware. How long was that gap? 40 years. And it's a few chapters in the Bible, the book of Exodus largely, and it's like, okay, we can skip over that one pretty easily. They couldn't. <laughs> they didn't go from like have to have they went from have to 40 years, an entire generation of have not, 40 years of waking up every day wondering if they're going to have something, anything to eat and see that God miraculously provided edible dust called manna that you could eat to keep you alive for one more day until he brought you into this land. And Moses gets to give his last lecture because he wasn't going to get to go in. That's another story. He goes up on a hill and gives his last lecture to the people and goes, you are just about to go into a place where you're not going to wonder if there's food in the pantry. You're just about to go into a place where you didn't build that town. You didn't build your house. Somebody else did. You didn't 
plant the vineyards. But now you get to live in the house and you get to harvest the vineyard. You are going into the place marked more than enough. In this last lecture, the speech is called the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, his word resoundingly clear again and again and again. Remember, remember, remember. Fifteen times in Deuteronomy, he uses a variation of the word remember. Do not forget the Lord your God. Remember the lessons of the desert. Remember the lessons of the wilderness. Remember when you didn't have enough. Because someday you're going to go into a place and you're not going to rely on God for that edible dust just outside of your tent anymore. You're going to see a full pantry and a bank account with enough in it. And you have this ability, we all do, to say, God who? Affluence is not always a friend of faith. I'm speaking in strong generalities here. I recognize that, but, but for a lot of us, prob- probably the majority of the people um, at our churches watching online, this is probably the lowest financial place that you're going to be for the rest of your life. Like, like, like a year from now, you're probably statistically going to be in a better financial place than you are right now. Ten years from now, you're probably going to be further along in your career, further along in savings, further along in, in every financial measure. Um, you're going to be better off later than you are right now. And I just want to remind you, affluence is not always a friend of faith. Agur gets this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't make me dirt poor, filthy rich. Find me in the moderate middle. I think a guru's wisdom for you is your car that starts most of the time on the third try, someday you're going to replace it with something better. Remember, affluence is not always a friend of faith. Remember the Lord your God. Don't forget you're renting right now. And someday, you may have that opportunity to buy and to move into your very own house. Remember, the Lord, your God. Someday you will have more than you've ever had before. Remember, affluence is not always a friend of faith. He can say these things. I think honestly, because he's got something figured out. He's got something I think few of us probably have that I'm still learning for sure. Uh, Throughout the book of Proverbs, what Agur, I think, has learned is the limitations that money has. You you see, most of us, we get a little bit and it makes us a little bit happy. And so we're like, good, let's try more. (laughs) And we get more and it makes us like more happy. And we're like, oh, I get it. Points make a line. We learn this very early on. So if a little makes me a little happy and a a lot more makes me a lot more happy, I mean, this thing could just kind of like extend out into infinity. And and so we jump on this wheel of like accumulation. And it's like, yeah, I'll just stay on that wheel. And the more that I have, the happier I become. And Agur goes, see, that's just the thing. That's not how it works. If you want to win, if you want to be successful, if you want to, ah, if if you want to find the satisfaction, if you want to find contentment, see, that's really the the nugget of the thing right there is that it isn't infinite, it isn't limitless. There is actually a a cap on this whole process. There's actually like this limitation, the limitations of money. And I think reading through the the book of Proverbs, we really get three of them. Uh, Money is a poor source of happiness. Money is a rich source of temptation. And money is 
ultimately worthless. Let's go to the first one. Money is a poor source of happiness. Uh, we know this from Proverbs. We know this from a guru. We also know this from Gallup, the, the poll company. When Gallup drops in on people and they're like, how much is rich? How much is enough to be considered rich? And Gallup like interviews a bunch of people and they, they drop in on people of all kinds of income levels. What, what would it take to be considered rich enough income-wise? Uh, people, a family of four, just above the poverty line, $30,000 a year. How much would it take? And they're going, set, on average, $76,000. Household income is what it would take to become rich. Some of you are going, I make $76,000. It doesn't feel rich. Gal says, yeah, yeah, because we dropped in on those people too. Uh, all the way up, uh, household income, $50,000. What does it take? A little over $100,000 to be considered rich. Drop in on a household income of $100,000. What does it take to consider rich? Somewhere around $250,000. Okay, you have now a household income of $2 million a year. What would it be considered to be rich? Gal finds $5 million a year. We can probably see like where this thing is going, right? Somebody's out there making $10 million a year, and it's going, I still don't feel it, though, right? I do just happiness, enough contentment, satisfaction. It's just, it's right over that hill. And someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. I'll be over that hill, and I'll finally, like, have it. And Agur's going over here, see, this is the limitation, right? It's a poor source of happiness because, like any kind of appetite, it's always going to leave you unsatisfied and wanting more. It's a, it's a poor source of happiness, but it's a rich source of temptation. And it makes us do some wild things. Agur's going, yeah, I know. That's why I want to be in the, in the moderate middle. The temptation like opens up and oh, I know what I'm capable of. Rajat Gupta, he knows what he's capable of. Rajat grew up in one of the most uh, poor cities in the world in, in Calcutta, India, and he was smart. I mean, he is super smart. He realized, people around him realized how smart he was pretty early on, and so he started sending a little bit of resources his way, and, uh, and he got an opportunity to take like this massive standardized test in India, and he crushed it. I'm talking, he was 15th in the nation in India on this, on this uh, standardized test. There's a lot of people in India. <laughs> 15th in the, in the country. Resources are now pouring like rivers into him. Um, scholarships, job offers, right? Just all kinds of stuff. Rajat takes the opportunities. He goes to a very prestigious school in the U.S. to continue his study in business. He chooses to make money. This is what he's going to do. After graduation, he continues to work up the corporate ladder. He becomes the CEO of this business consulting group called the McKinsey Group. He is crushing it. He's on the Forbes list. Forbes list, he's like in his uh, 40s. He's estimated to have a net worth of somewhere well north of $100 million. And Rajat goes, no, 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 my goal, kept moving, kept moving, my goal is a billion dollars. What can I do to get to a billion? As in he wanted it really, really badly. (laughs) And even though he has, according to most of us, more than enough, that rich source of temptation, it's there, it's gripping him. Uh, 2008, we're talking about 2020, anxiety and fear injected into the system. Some of you also lived through 2007, 8, 9, the Great Recession housing crisis. Uh, nobody knew uh, what the bottom was because every, every floor just kept dropping to the next one down. He is on the board of directors for Goldman Sachs, uh, a bank, right at the center of the financial crisis. And because he's on the board, he has privileged information that nobody else gets to hear. 
In this case, the world's richest man, Warren Buffett, had just decided and told Goldman Sachs Board of Directors he was about to invest $5 billion into Goldman Sachs, single-handedly picking this bank up and carrying it across the finish line to keep it from being insolvent. It's like a dozen people in the world with this information. He knows what it's going to do to the stock price the next morning when news gets out. 16 seconds is how tempting this was. 16 seconds after the Warren Buffett call, he calls his trader, puts in an order for 175,000 shares of Goldman Sachs. He made a million dollars just like that. Some of you are going, I'm not sure that's legal. It's not. It's called insider trading. And it's not difficult to track down. And here's a guy who owns the story of being born in Calcutta, India, in his 40s on the Forbes list, over $100 million with a bright career ahead of him, to handcuffs in prison. Money is a poor source of happiness and a rich source of temptation. And the last one that Agur, I think, has figured out in Proverbs, it's ultimately worthless. Where I'm standing right now at our Kentwood location, uh, about 50 feet behind the wall behind me is a funeral home, which is super fun, especially for our staff where the window is like, hey, we got windows, guys. We look at a funeral home. There's a hearse that we see every day, <laughs> every day. And there's this old saying, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. We still haven't seen one. <laughs> Lots of experience. It still hasn't happened. Uh, money is ultimately worthless. It's more, church. It's more than just naming like, hey, you can't take it with you. If we're going to go with uh, Agur and make it a, a layer deeper, a little philosophical level, um, money is an excellent store of value. Emphasis on the word store. Right? It doesn't, as a paper, it doesn't actually do anything, but it's the potential of the thing, right, that gets us, that captures our heart and our wallet, and they both kind of go together. It's the potential of not just anything, but, but potentially everything. You know, if we, if we got more of it, we could have it all. But it's the store of value. It's all potential energy. It's worthless in so much as like off to the side there. It is worth something only when we trade it for something else, right? So money on its own doesn't do us any good, but when we trade that thing for like a roof overheads or food to eat, then it becomes potential. Then it becomes actionable. Then it becomes something in this world. It's worth the food. It's worth the roof. Last week as a church, we announced, hey, there's these earthquakes happening around the world. What would it be like for us as a church to, to provide some resources, some relief, some aid, so that when somebody's world just collapses, we can show up on site in the name of Jesus and say, there's a slight of bit of relief available for you. And we did that. What if we keep doing more of that and more of that? And we take the potential and we actionize it and we do something with it, and we help people out. Small plug, next week, we're introducing something kind of big. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, in the fall of every year, uh, we, do, uh, we do what's called Doing Good Month because we want to bless uh, where we live. We love where we live. And so every year it's huge. You know, we pick a partner. Uh, and uh, last year it was a, a family promise, ending homelessness one family at a time. It was just a super cool mission. And we said, okay, let's be generous. Let's overwhelm them with generosity. And we did it was like well over $20,000, like 900-somethings, nights uh, of emergency shelter for a family of four, like Encounter Church, right? It's so cool. In the name of Jesus, he gets the credit. I love it. 
And we thought, doing good month is too good to only do once a year. So March, we got a new partner, a long-term partner that we're, we're working with. We've got a whole bunch of fun events coming up for March. Uh, we're going to love where we live. More details to come. Not even supposed to say this much, but, you know, you came, so we're here. We're going to share a little bit more of that. Um, guys, we love where we live. You've got someone, you're one, uh, the person that you would love to meet Jesus to experience his love and his grace maybe for the first time. And, and one of the things maybe holding them back was a bad church experience, right? The Christians that are just kind of out for themselves and just maybe a little selfish with their time, talent, potentially treasure as well. Next week is an awesome week to invite them because they get to see and experience the hands and feet of Jesus in real life. That's so good. Money, though, ultimately worthless. We don't need more of what's temporary. We need more of what's eternal. I don't know who Agur is. One of the reasons why we keep talking about him is because a couple thousand years ago, Jesus stood on another hill like Moses, and he taught us to pray. And he said, when you pray, consider doing it like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Don't make me dirt poor. Don't make me filthy rich. Find me somewhere in the moderate middle, daily bread. And Jesus said in John 6, it's me. I'm that bread. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never hunger or thirst again. It's like contentment, satisfaction, happiness. Our heart and our wallet is connected. As you just about get ready to head into your weeks, I want to review a little bit of the, the ground that we covered here. We started with bucket lists. You want to see something, do something, achieve something. In light of this conversation today, honesty, money, terrible source of happiness, rich source of temptation, ultimately worthless. Is the Spirit of God somehow moving you to add onto that bucket list, not just something to see, something to do, something to achieve, but someone to be? A more honest person. A more simple life. Let's pray to God. I invite you to stand up where you are, all of our locations. Let's go to him. Jesus, you've called us to something this week. For each of us, it's going to be unique. God, you didn't call us just to see the world or do something in the world or to achieve something out of the world. You called us to be someone. God, I pray that this time that we had together, you will use to shape us and to form us, to turn us a bit more into the likeness of your son to mysteriously and miraculously arc our lives into his. And Jesus, we thank you for showing what it's like, for teaching us about our hearts and our wallets, about our happiness and contentment, ultimately in you forever and ever. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? 
And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.